welcome to mini episode 69 of real life ghost stories how you do do i need to pause to let people insert their own 69 jokes here or do we just continue pause I have three listener stories for you today and the last story today comes from the last week of June. Are you ready? Never ready. And story number one comes from Rebecca. A few years ago my life was a mess. I had so much stress that I was hallucinating. It was hard to tell sometimes what was real and when my mind was making things up. One night I had an unnerving hallucination. I was driving home from work late when I saw a dark figure on the side of the road. He looked like a shadow figure. He was wearing a nice suit, carried a briefcase and didn't have a head. He was just walking along the road as if he were going to see someone. I was nervous for the rest of the night over what I thought was a figment of my imagination, even though I lived half an hour away from where I'd seen him. Eventually I let it go and didn't give it any more thought. I was too busy trying to fix what was wrong in my life. I never told anyone about it because honestly the whole idea of having stress-induced hallucinations just scared me and I wanted to forget about it. A few months later I was driving the same road with my best friend. I hadn't thought about the man at all until she pointed to the spot where I saw him and said, Oh hey, have you seen that black mass that's supposed to walk around here? A really short and scary story from Rebecca there. I cannot even manage the thought of thinking about being so stressed out, driving home and then seeing a black mass by the side of the road. I mean, I would have crashed my car, so well done, Rebecca. Yeah, and stress-induced hallucinations are a very real and probably very terrifying thing to experience. And you have then, in this story... Rebecca has come to terms with that. She recognises their stress-induced hallucinations. And then that's all turned upside down again when her friend is like, oh, did you know that people see a black mass walking along this road? Do you know what I'd do? I think I'd stop the car and just go, get out. (laughs) Just get out. We're not friends anymore. In fact, I don't know why I was ever friends with you in the first place. Just get out, okay? (laughs) A little bit harsh. But again, it's that thing, isn't it, where Rebecca hasn't said anything about it. The friend just brings it up naturally. And there you know. It's almost like the dreaded confirmation that you don't need. I have to say, listening to Rebecca's account, I wondered if maybe it was like a spirit that died unexpectedly that's just trying to get home. Because we hear a lot of stories like that where the spirit's kind of a lost soul and, you know, sometimes doesn't even realise it's dead. So maybe that's one of these things. Like maybe, who knows? Yeah, it might not necessarily be anything inherently bad. It might just be, like you said, a lost soul trying to get home. And there probably is local folklore in the area about that particular road or something that happened on that road or you know a friend of a friend said that this is what happened I'd love I'd love to know I want to hear it I also want to know Rebecca from a very uh, selfish and personal point of view I want to know how you managed (laughs) how you dealt with that how you dealt with the fact that you had put it down to a stress-induced hallucination and then that idea is turned on its head I want to know okay please contact me and let me know how you dealt with that And story number two comes from Tim. Now, before we start, Tim is a very good friend of ours and he was a guest on probably the most popular episode on Patreon that we've ever put out. He also has an Instagram page called at Dry Wipe History, where he recreates uh, moments from history on his whiteboard in school. And he's just pretty incredible all around. 
Your podcast takes me back to a nostalgic time when as a child my friends and I would spend hours trying to freak each other out with the most ludicrous ghost stories. Whether it was the obviously haunted mansion on the outskirts of town or folk tales of headless coachmen emerging from rock faces to whisk revenant passengers down to the river. And believe me, if you want them, there are tons of folk tales like this in my hometown. We would tell it all. I found this a particularly fun experience, as I was the secret sceptic of the group. I didn't let on about my scepticism, but somehow this helped me to tell stories that chilled them all the more. So I guess in a long-winded way, I'm outlining that I'm a sceptic. You know what word is coming next. But. But I've experienced a few things that I cannot explain. And my family history is laden with stories of the paranormal. Don't worry, Dan, most of them are actually very sweet. For two summers in 2006 and 2007, I worked in a preserved Victorian jail in Wales. I was an actor, and it was amazing fun to recreate the scenes in the jail. Indeed, Most Haunted visited the place a few months after we left, and were kind enough to refer to some of our scripts in their ghostly encounters, if you know what I mean. To develop my characters, I tried to immerse myself in the world of the jail and tried desperately to put myself into a frame of mind to experience at least something. I had myself locked in the condemned cell. I shut myself into the pitch-black nothing of the punishment cell and I spent quiet moments of contemplation in the workrooms and the cells and I experienced nothing. How disappointing. From reading the guest book, there were plenty of sightings, but an alarming number of them were clearly sightings of us actors moving between the scenes. We would read them and laugh. I saw a woman in a grey flowing robe float across the corridor, which would be met with, Oh, that was Sarah hung over and running for the toilets. How underwhelming so far. All this prompted me to try and tempt the spirit world into showing itself when I returned home to Devon. My local pub, heartbreakingly recently closed down for the first time in 400 years, was a royalist headquarters during one of the final great battles of the English Civil War in 1646. Stories abound of a cavalier with missing fingers who disturbs guests in an upstairs room. And this is a story I've heard from two unrelated owners of the pub. However, my temptation of the unearthly realm relates to a simple pint glass. The pub has a raised stone floor on one side, which are the original cobbles of the town square. This means that the bar itself is set lower than the entrance and above the step down to the bar is a shelf on which the pint glasses are stacked. This shelf is about seven feet above the hard tiled floor of the bar. The glasses are neatly in rows except one. The fourth glass along. The landlord never keeps a glass there as something always pushes it off. After a couple of nourishing pints of local ale, I convinced the then landlord to put a glass there. And he was reluctant. I don't like teasing him, he said. I offered to pay for the broken glass if anything happened and he gave a little laugh and said... You won't need to. It never breaks. It was me who was being teased now. How could a glass fall seven feet from a shelf onto a tiled floor and never break? After a bit more convincing, the landlord relented and the glass went up. My mate and I had another couple of frothing jars of liquid bread, having virtually forgotten about the glass. But I had sat myself so that I was able to see it, and the bar, 
through the low doorway of the snug. And then it happened. The glass audibly slid over the wooden shelf and, well, it didn't fall so much as fly. It took a truly unnatural trajectory across the bar, landing with a resonant dunk onto the tiles. It didn't break. The pub went quiet momentarily. The regulars laughed, having seen it all before. The landlord picked up the glass, polished it and said, Happy now, you bugger. I was truly lost for words and I still cannot explain it. My father's side of the family, which strangely often seemed the more rational side of the family, has lots of stories of comforting family visitations. I learned most of these from my great aunt and some from my dad, who was really rather quiet about his beliefs when it comes to the paranormal, but he just completely accepts these stories. In 1999, when I was 13, we lost our beloved Nan, a wonderful Cornish woman, and I wish Emma luck with the accents later on, who was inseparable from her equally Cornish sister. She had made sure my dad had never gone short of anything, despite both having to work hard to make ends meet after my dad's dad died in 1963. To say they were close was an understatement. Nan had been determined to die at home, which actually meant at my great aunt's house. Through stubborn determination, she was able to have her wish and we were all able to say our goodbyes and she was generous to the end. My brother was given £20 for his exam results that summer and I was given the same. You'll do just as well, me handsome. And I did. She could see me welling up and gave me the same old smelling salts. Have a sniff of they. They am fierce. She was giving me an excuse for the tears in my eyes. She had been close to death before and had told us very positively that she wasn't afraid. She said she had seen a light and seen her brother-in-law, our much-loved Unc Cuthbert, who had said, Not yet, Ivy. Not yet. A week before her 82nd birthday, she slipped peacefully away. Nan had been given a little brass bell by her bed, which she would ring if she needed anything. The night she died, my dad and my great-aunt stayed together. They both lay atop Auntie's bed in the room next to that in which Nan had spent her final days. They spoke until the early hours, just remembering the good times. As they both began to drift off to sleep, both started slightly. Dad had heard the bell ring. And so had Auntie. Auntie turned to Dad and said, Do you hear that, dear? That's Ivy. She's telling us she's in heaven now. And it turns out that wasn't the first similar experience. The family had lived in the same house since the mid-1930s after my great-grandfather saved up to buy his own place. However, there was a tragedy in those years. My auntie would tell me about my great-grandfather's affinity for the supernatural. In April of 1943, he was polishing the brass over a small fireplace in the sitting room. It was getting late and the fire was burning out. My great-granny came down and asked him to come to bed, but my great-granddad refused, simply saying he was waiting. Waiting for what? asked great-granny. I don't know, but I'll know when it happens. Eventually, great-granddad climbed into his bed and settled down. Great-granny asked him if what he was waiting for had happened. It had. 
great-granddad had heard the front door open, heard a heavy kit bag thrown down and heard Boots walking up the stairs to the small bedroom. Harry's bedroom. Harry was a trooper with the tank regiment, but wartime secrecy meant that neither of his parents knew where he was. Great-granddad had heard Harry come home. And a day or two later, a telegram arrived. War Office regrets to inform you that your son, Trooper H. Edwards, is missing, presumed killed in action. Letter follows. My great-aunt always wanted me to visit his grave in Tunisia as the family never had and I always promised that I would try. I was later able to research his name and was relieved in a way that great aunt and nan never knew that Harry had no known grave. His unit had been attacked by 88 millimeter guns in a dried river valley, and as an infantryman protecting tanks, it seemed horribly obvious why he had no grave. However, Harry did come home, as far as the family were concerned. And sadly, that wasn't the only tragedy. My great-aunt had her first baby boy in 1943. A lovely, smiley chap whose photo was above the prayer plant in the living room, and I remember it well. His dad had been away in North Africa for the Battle of El Alamein when he was born, and he didn't get to meet him until 1945. In 1946, little Keith was suddenly taken ill. It was leukemia. In 1946, he died and left a hole in the family that was never filled, despite being no strangers to death at the time with their working-class background. Particularly hard-hit was my great-grandfather, who made a daily pilgrimage to the churchyard, a mile and a half walk over the fields. He went up every day for months, in all weathers. One day, though, he came home with a smile and a spring in his step that he had not had since the family lost Keith. What's got into you, father? You're positively dancing. He sat down and he said, You know, I won't need to go up there anymore. Why ever not? Well, I know they're both fine now. As I walked across the field, I saw them both. Keith was walking along, holding Harry's hand. They saw me and Harry waved, looking all smart, and then he got Keith to wave at me too, and they're both absolutely fine and happy and we don't need to worry about them. That was the last time he made the journey up to the churchyard until he himself joined Harry and Keith in eternal slumber. Whether this was the product of a mind in grief, I do not know, but the stories have always been a tremendous comfort to the family, and Dad's side of the family always had tremendous faith that they will meet up again soon in some way. Dad doesn't speak about it, but I know he believes this too. For my part, I remain an annoying sceptic but I do hope I'm wrong and that they're right. I think for all the rubbish that certain sceptics give people that believe in the paranormal, this kind of story is the one thing that says to me, just shut up. (laughs) Because I feel like, you know, if this is, whether you believe it to be true or not, if this is the one, if this is the thing that brings closure over the sudden death of a loved one. Let them have it. Like I don't see what I don't see why you'd go out of your way to try and disprove something like this. Like it's so beneficial. You know me. Obviously, I'm believing this verbatim as truth because there's, there's you know there's ghosts. But just just let people be. Like what an amazing thing to be able to 
What an amazing way to be able to find reassurance. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a really healthy thing to be able to be sceptical and still just enjoy a good story for a good story and recognise the good that a good story can do. Oh yeah, by the way, Tim, I wasn't talking about you. I'm not bashing you, by the way. You're not the sceptical I'm referring to. <laughs> He's talking about you, Tim. <laughs> I also had forgotten how good of a storyteller Tim is. So I have uh, seen Tim in shows, but I've never been in a show with Tim. And I uh, am very sad about that because I think it would have been a joy to work with him on different shows. But also that Patreon episode that he did with us, which was all about legends of Dartmoor in uh, in the southwest of England, was such a joy to listen to genuinely. And I don't we don't really do that often where we're like, oh, this Patreon episode was exclusive and wonderful. Uh, but it but it really was amazing and lots of people thoroughly enjoyed it. So um, thank you, Tim. We love you. And I love stories where sceptics are like, I'm not quite saying it's paranormal, but I am saying I don't know what happened because that story with the pint glass is weird. There is no scientific explanation for that, Tim. So I put your scepticism to the sword and say that you can't explain it. So therefore, it must be paranormal. <laughs> Is that the rule? No matter what it is, if you personally can't explain it, it's paranormal. This is like me and Bitcoin, because I don't really understand what Bitcoin is or Bitcoin mining, which we were talking about during the week. Therefore, Bitcoin is ghosts. That's the logic there. Yes, Bitcoin is paranormal. Yeah, the pint glass story is amazing. I want to know, like with the previous story, I want to know the law around this. So what was it? Is it an old patron of the pub? that always had his favourite tankard in the fourth position. And as his favourite tankard is no longer there, no other glass is able to rest in that position. Oh, that's a really good... I had not considered that. That's a really good point because that was that would be quite commonplace in old school pubs where you have like particularly older men who would come in, they'd have a certain glass that they like, they have a certain seat at the bar that they like and will be tied to anybody who gives them the wrong glass or sits in their seat. So maybe... But also at the same time, love the pub so much that they can't he can't quite follow through with his anger to the point where he breaks the glass, so protects it from its fall, but makes his point. I like that. That's the bit of that story that I find really strange: the fact that the ga- the glass doesn't break. Because you know we regularly see those videos of pubs where a glass will just explode, and there is a physics behind that. I mean, I don't know what the physics is, so it's ghost Therefore physics. Paranormal, <laughs> but a, a glass audibly sliding across wood launching across the room and then bouncing i don't understand how that makes sense i really don't it's proof that the paranormal exists so you just have to accept it you and tim will just have to deal with the fact that this one incident alone proves life after death the paranormal aliens bigfoot and anything else i can attribute to it also tim i didn't attempt the accents because i would end up offending uh, an entire region of people But I would recommend that if you are a listener who doesn't know what a Cornish accent sounds like, please do look it up because it's incredible. And I didn't I didn't want to offend anybody, so I didn't even attempt it. And our final story today comes from Ingrid. And I just want to let people know that Ingrid's story deals with the tragic loss of her son by suicide. My beautiful son, JC, took his life on August the 22nd, 2018. He was only 27 and I truly believe that as sad as he was for years, he fought through his torment for us, until he couldn't any longer. 
I'll never truly know or understand what he was going through, but I know that in spite of it, he was a truly loving, compassionate and generous soul, and that has carried over into his new existence. He was an old soul and a deep thinker, selfless and the kind of young man that always stood up for those who couldn't stand on their own. An incredible loss that I feel deeply every day, and I know that this world is lesser for it, whether they know it or not. So on to the strange things that have happened since his passing. My Peanut was an avid fan of reggae music. He always played songs for us and wanted us to really understand the lyrics, to know the deep meaning of the words being sung. It meant so much to him. So after his passing and being shut inside for months, deep in grief, I finally went out. Just to the grocery store, but nonetheless outside. My daughter Grace and I went to our local market, one that he frequented often, but has since relocated to a bigger location. We walked in, ordered some deli items, and while waiting, I hear the music overhead and it's all 80s music. Cindy Lauper, Lionel Richie, that sort of thing. I found myself singing along as we walked over to the freezer case for some chicken and some beef to buy. As I picked up a package, I noticed the store's label is bordered with red, green and yellow, the Rasta colours. No sooner did the thought enter my mind when one of my Peanuts songs filled the store. It wasn't a common, well-known song or even a well-known group, so I was surprised to hear it playing, and as all this is sinking in, Grace looks up at me from her phone and she asks me, Do you hear that? I nodded yes and started bawling for the length of the song. When it ended, the music went right back to the familiar 80s playlist. I was stunned afterwards, and upon leaving the store, I asked everyone I knew that also shopped there if they had ever heard reggae playing there. They, of course, immediately knew the significance of what I was asking and promptly replied that no, it had never happened. It's always been disco, 80s, or even Latin music. Salsa, maybe, but not reggae. I have the song in a playlist that I created of my Peanuts favourites and when I got home I listened to it over and over and realised that one of the lines in the song lyrics was Are you ready to receive my loving? And I realised immediately what that meant. The meaning is beyond just a lyric. In case you're interested, the song is In Your Eyes by Tribal Seeds. Take a listen, it's lovely. I'd visited a medium prior and he told me that my peanut would communicate to us through his music and we have to be open to the signs, open to receiving the love that he sends. I was ready, finally ready, and open to it, and the signs have come to me over and over. Another incident which actually occurred prior to the market visit and prior to the medium session. I've been fortunate enough to work for a company that has allowed me to work from home after I came back, having taken some much-needed time off. In the meantime, my sister and her two daughters and their dog moved in with us. My brother and I were already living together and of course my daughter, so it's a full house to say the least. With that said, I also had my mom's dog and my Peanuts dog, so six humans with three fur babies. On this particular day, I was home alone with the dogs, working on my laptop in the living room at one end of the house. The dogs always sat around me, as everyone goes off to work or school. Needless to say, we've all become pretty familiar with the normal noises in the house. However, on this day, we heard some jiggling on the doorknob to the back door. 
It was loud and the dogs immediately jumped up and ran to the back door and I followed, fully expecting someone to come back home. Maybe they forgot something. It was too early in the day for anyone to return at that point, but you never know. I didn't see anyone. The doorknob we heard was the inside door. In Chicago, because of the harsh winters, we have storm doors, but that wasn't the one we heard. We heard the doorknob jiggle from the door that's on the inside, and the sound of that doorknob is distinctly different than the one on the storm door. What was even more perplexing was that the storm door was locked. In fact, both doors were. But that meant that someone would have had to jiggle the doorknob from inside the house. I told everyone as they came home what happened and no one believed me. They thought I was crazy, even as I insisted the dogs reacted to it as well. At that point, I decided to try and debunk it. I asked my daughter to wait by the back door for my signal to jiggle the doorknob as I listened at the other end of the house to see if I could even hear it. Normally I wouldn't hear it. I would hear the blinds on the window of the door as someone actually opens it, but not the doorknob. It's just never loud enough. So I walk to the living room and I yell, Go ahead! And I assume she's doing it, but I don't hear it. As I walk back to her, she looked at me with this terrified look. And before I can even confirm with her that she jiggled it, she asked me, How many times did you say go ahead? I said only once. She said she heard a male's voice, seemingly right next to her, say, Go ahead, do it. And then she heard me say, Go ahead. So she did it. But she stood still afterwards, stunned with what she had just heard until I walked back to her. As if that were not enough, on a different night a couple of weeks later, my daughter was visiting with her dad in Ohio. My brother was working and I was visiting with a friend. My sister was home with my nieces and of course the three dogs. They were watching a movie downstairs and from that area you can hear the doorknob even if you're not close to it, assuming it's quiet enough. And lo and behold, my sister hears the doorknob jiggle. She waits for me to come in from my visit, only it wasn't me. Again, the dogs reacted and ran to the door, but nobody was there. She eventually checked the doors. Both were locked, and she asked her older daughter if she had heard it, and she confirmed that she had. When I eventually came home, she was waiting up for me and let me know that it happened to her too, and all I said was, I told you so. And just to add to all of this, when I eventually did visit with the medium after the doorknob incident, but before the supermarket song... He told me that my peanut would play with doors to communicate with us. In another incident, my peanut hung out with our cousins and one in particular more often because he lived just down the block, Frankie. They would hang out in the basement of the house where my son's bedroom was and play video games, drink and just chill in general. On one of those occasions, they were being goofy and were singing a song they made up on the spot and Frankie snapchatted it. I had never seen it though as I wasn't on Snapchat yet. After everything happened with my peanut, Frankie played it for me. Fortunately, he had saved it. I cried watching it. It wasn't more than 20 seconds long, but I also loved being able to see him singing. After some time, we moved out of the house. It was just too hard to stay. And additionally, my mother couldn't set foot in the house anymore, so it was inevitable that we had to put the house up for sale. And yes, we all stayed together. My siblings, my daughter, my nieces and the three dogs. 
We were fortunate to find a house big enough. Besides, we just didn't want to be alone. So we've been each other's support and honestly, it was the best thing we could have done for each other. In the new house, my younger niece and I were watching TV in the living room as my daughter worked on her schoolwork with headphones in the kitchen. It's an open concept layout so we could all see each other easily. I then heard someone hum the song that Frankie and my peanut had made up. It sounded like it came from the basement and happened when I paused what we were watching so it wasn't coming from the TV. I looked at my niece and asked her if she had heard it and she had. She even hummed it right back to me, acknowledging that it was the same song. She had never heard a song before though, just the humming that night. As my daughter looked at us and saw that we were obviously in disbelief, she removed her headphones and asked what happened. I told her we heard someone humming a song and she went to check the basement, thinking my brother had come home and entered through a separate entrance in the basement, but no one was there. That incident confirmed to me that my peanut is with us wherever we go. And for further confirmation, our backyard started to develop some brown spots in the grass, normal considering the dogs are let out into the backyard frequently. But one day I noticed a pattern forming with the brown spots, and it appeared to look like letters. The letters were J-A-Y, and J is what we all called my son by. I took a picture, sent it to everyone, and asked if they saw a pattern, and everyone confirmed they saw J. I decided to put some coloured rocks over the letters, red, yellow and green of course, and laid some solar-powered fairy lights under the letters and around the shrine so it would be visible even at night. A few weeks after that, we had another session with the same medium, and we asked him about signs we get from my peanut. I wasn't sure if it was just coincidence or something intentional. He went on to ask us if we had built a shrine with lights that turn on when it's dark, and I said yes and explained what I had done, told him I saw my son's name, never telling him what my son's name is, And then he asked, Doesn't it, does it have a letter J? I said yes, and he told us that my peanut started it for me to finish. These are just some of the things that have happened. I have so many more and I am so grateful for them because I know I will see him again. I have to say that I found this story particularly, particularly hard. It was a, it was a tough one to read and Ingrid, like, first of all, thanks for sharing because Ingrid started her email by saying that she got great comfort from hearing other people's stories about loved ones who have who had passed on and who had sent messages from the beyond, as it were. Um, so I think that's an important thing to say. And just thank you for sharing it. I, like, it's, it's like what you were saying with the last story. If something brings you comfort then that's what matters. And I just think suicide is such a such a harrowing thing for a family to face. And if there was ever a point for a loved one to come back and say, hey, I am okay now, that that's it, I think, really, isn't it? So Ingrid very helpfully attached photos to her email of this patch of grass. And I just showed you those photos of that patch of grass. What did you think? It's... Very eerie, 
because it it very much looks like Jay. Yeah, because when you hear it, I think when you hear this story and you hear that the the grass started to like the brown marks and the grass took a shape, you could say it was what they call it is a parad paradolia. Is that the? Ooh, that sounds very um, intelligent. Very, I have no very idea. fancy. It's the phenomenon where humans like find patterns in things, but this is this is really like significant. And Ingrid sent us both the picture of like just the brown patches of grass, but also the picture of what she did with it, turning it into a little shrine. It is very beautiful. But even without it being turned into a shrine, it looks like Jay. It's very strange. I think when you hear the story, you're thinking of like, okay, so it must be like patches of brown that kind of make up letters. But this is this is like, so the J is a whole patch of missing grass. In the shape of a J. It's not like little bits that are roughly... It's not and like, you're joining the dots together yeah, in your no, head. No, it's yeah. like a whole patch. It's very... I mean, it's cool, actually. It's really cool. Yeah, and it gives them... Um, I, I guess those in- incidents gave Ingrid and her family hope and maybe maybe a bit of closure. And I guess that's the main thing, right? If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon if you so desire. Patreon is $5 a month or $2 a month and you get access to heaps of extra content. It is real life. No, it's not. It's patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.